13, and really have been enjoying this series. Okay, Jonathan, I'm going to turn this on now. Make sure we don't get any feedback here. Nehemiah chapter 13, I've been really enjoying this series uh, on Nehemiah as we've been studying this man, but it's not just about this man, it's about the work that God did through this man, and it gives us great confidence that even today we can arise and we can do a work for God today, but we also have to arise and we have to protect that. And uh, towards the end here, one other way of protecting God's work and what God has done been doing in our life is to diligently guard our hearts. Um, since I since I moved here, I haven't really had a chance to pull out the fire pit uh, over at that house, but we have a little fire pit on wheels that we can wheel around, uh, and we can wheel out onto the patio and start a fire anytime. And we had that same fire pit when we had Daniel and Sarah Rulli as our missionaries to Brazil. They uh, came and visited our house when we were living in Westminster. And it was snowing like this. It actually reminded me of it the other day that uh, it was it, it it had snowed. It was still kind of cool. But I thought it'd be really neat on a snow. It's all snow in the yard, and and I've already cleared the patio of the snow. It's not icy or anything. Let's go out there and we'll start a fire and roast some marshmallows. And so I go out there and I I get started with um, and Dan's inside and I'm. Uh, and everyone else is inside, and I'm trying to start this fire. I had a couple of dry logs and a couple of dry branches. And I, and so I had these logs that, you know, when you do a campfire, you know, you try to have a good base. We try to have a good base and then try to stack the sticks on it and so we can feed the fire and so forth and so on. It won't be cold. But I, had, I even put a star log in there, put newspaper in there and all that stuff. And, you know, when I started it, it flamed up. And it... It burned for about three minutes or so, you know, with flames. And then it kind of died down and it started smoking. And I needed to I needed to keep it going, but all the rest of my wood was wet. It had snow on it. And I was trying to dry that out. And also, there was some ashes. I was in a hurry. We, just, we got home. I'm not sure if it was on a Sunday for church, but it was sometime in their visit there that, you know, it was kind of cold, and I didn't even bother. We had some ashes in our pit, which is like a rolling, like I told you, a rolling pit with a cage in it. And, you know, to dump all those ashes out and stuff was going to get me messy and, you know, take time. So I kind of rushed through it. So I had all these remaining ashes. I had this dry wood. It was burning, but once it went down, it just died out and started smoking. And I really couldn't do anything. I tried to stir it, and those ashes really prohibited me from doing that. The wet logs just was killing, the, choking the fire out. And as I was thinking about this event, it reminded me a lot about the nature of fire. You know, I know out here where things are dry, and the, nat- the nature of fire might not be to go out. Uh, if it started on your farm or your ranch it, with all the dryness, dry weather that we have out here, sometimes it can really feed it. But back where I was at, and I, I was building that fire, the general nature of fire is to go out. You have to feed it, you have to stir up the ashes, and you got to have some, um, you have to feed it, and you have to stir it up, and you have to remove ashes so that it can breathe, and it can have that oxygen to keep the fire going, that combustion. And the same is true with our devotion to God. As we've been talking about uh, since chapter 7, and these people have, talk, have experienced revival, how does that keep going? 
we see in chapter 13 that that revival fire burns out. It burns out. When we look at verse 6 of chapter 13, we see that some period of time has gone by since chapter 12. It says, But in all this time was not I, talking about Nehemiah, at Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and afterwards certain day and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. And so we see here that Nehemiah went back to Babylon. We already read about that in Nehemiah uh, chapter five, where he talked about in verse fourteen. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes unto the thirty-second year of his reign, that is twelve years, I and my brother. Have not brethren have not taken or eaten the bread of the governor. So he talks about how long he was governor in Judah. When Nehemiah came back uh, to rebuild the wall, he was the governor of the province of the province, if I can get that right, province of Judah for twelve years. But apparently he went back to King Artaxerxes to serve him. It was only a leave of absence. And so he's here in Babylon and he comes back. And we read about in chapter 13 what he sees when he comes back. He see, he finds that the people did not keep their promises to God. Their devotion to God has dwindled because they left it really spiritually unattended. They haven't really been uh, caring for it. And they've succumbed to spiritual compromise. Just like that fire, you know. Even in, in our lives as believers, if we are not paying attention to our heart, especially, we're not guarding our hearts, which is what I'm going to get at in just a little bit, we can allow sins to choke out that passion for Christ. We can allow um, ourselves to starve spiritually and not be fed by the Word of God. And we can, our hearts can be hardened and we're not stirred by the Holy Spirit. I want to point out a couple of things here. When we slack off spiritually, it brings about some dangerous consequences that I saw. In verses 1 through 3, it affects our convictions. In verses 1 through 3, we're going to read it in a little bit, but we see that the people have allowed this mixed multitude to enter into the temple, and they basically regard themselves as the people of God, but they truly are not the people of God. And so the problem that we see here is that when you slack spiritually, when I slack spiritually, that distinction of what a Christian should look like, it becomes blended and blurred where people can't see that. And that distinction is lost. And verses 4 through 9, when we slack off spiritually, affects our resistance to sin. In verses 4 through 9, they allow the enemy, the very enemy of Israel, not just to be part of the multitude or the congregation of Israel, which was bad enough, but they allowed him to live in the temple. They allowed him to live in the temple. And when we don't guard our hearts and we slack spiritually, we will allow Satan to get a foothold in our life. Verses 10 through 14. Another consequence that's very dangerous is our supportive ministry. It will affect our supportive ministry. The people in verses 10 through 14, they forsook the house of God and they also forsook the workers of God. And that's why there was place for a place for Tobiah to stay in the temple because 
there were no offerings, no tithes and offerings given to the temple. It's interesting. That's where it all. That, it's interesting that it started there. Verses 15 through 22. It affects our worship of God. They start working on the. Uh, they start working and indulging in pleasures on the Sabbath day again, and the people loved their profit and their possessions and these pleasures more than honoring God. In verses 15 through 22, um, two more dangerous consequences. It affects our ministry to our families. Let me just go ahead and have you turn there and we'll read these verses. Verse 23 of chapter 13. It says, In those days also I saw Jews that had married wives of Ashdod. Ashdod was a city of the Philippines. Not the Philippines. The the Philistines. (laughs) Wow. Okay. The Philistines. And anyway, they had married wives from there and of Ammon and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. You see the situation? They married these foreign wives, they foreign people, and they adopted the language of that, those people and they could no longer learn Hebrew. Now, they weren't just anti any other language except Hebrew, but what was going on is that these people, these kids could not understand what the law of God said, because it was written in Hebrew. They were, not, they were not teaching these children how to... How, they weren't teaching them the faith of their fathers. They were not discipling their own children. Verse uh, 25, And I contended with them, and cursed them, and smote certain of them, and plucked out their hair, he's talking about their beards, and made them swear by God, saying... Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. And shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God? And marrying strange wives, and we're talking about not weird wives, you know, people that look weird or that are crazy, but we're talking about people that are foreign to God. They're not believers, okay? And and even we see that one of them, the sons of Joiada, the son of Elisheb, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sambalat the Hornite, a Samaritan. Therefore, I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant and the priesthood and of the Levites. This covenant. So what he's getting at here is that these parents and kids were not not serving God. The parents weren't doing God's will and the kids were not learning. They didn't know what God's will was for their lives and, and how to serve the one true God. We also, I read these verses, I went ahead and read them in verses 28 through 31 where when we slack off spiritually, it also affects opportunities to serve God. You know, opportunities to serve in future ministry. One of the grandsons of the high priest, we don't know his name, but apparently married an unbeliever. And according to the law of God, the priest could not defile their... They became priests by genealogy. It was handed down by generation to generation. And so it defiled the priesthood and he was removed from, this grandson was removed from the priesthood. Now I want to encourage you not to take that fact and say, well, I, you know what, 
I've kind of got away from God and man, now I know I can't ever get right with God and serve Him anymore. We see that Nehemiah doesn't just give up on these people. But he corrects them, he rebukes them, and he reforms all these things that they have done. He restores them back to God. He calls them back to God. And that should give you and me hope that it's never too late. That God is a God of third chances. Okay, not just second chances, but He is the God of, the, of another chance. And that He will give you another chance if you will only confess that sin and seek to do His will that He's uh, elaborated in His Word. So we see here that these dangerous consequences that the people, that Nehemiah saw when he came back to, the, to Jerusalem, he saw that the people had broken their promises to God. And you know what? We make promises to God. We make commitments to God. And if we're honest with ourselves, and God really knows, we break those promises. We're not as faithful as we should be. And I want to just point to Nehemiah as an example for you and me that God will enable you to serve Him for the long haul. We see the unfaithfulness of uh, God's people here in Jerusalem, but We see in Nehemiah, if you look at his prayer, he prays three different times very quickly. Don't we like people who pray very quickly? But he prays very quickly uh, in this chapter, three separate times. In verse 14, he prays, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and wipe not my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. He's not praying for work salvation here. but I'll get to this in just a little bit. But he prays, Remember me, O God. Look at verse 22. At the beginning, he uh, towards the end of verse 22, he prays, Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. Look at verse 31. He prays a very similar prayer. Remember me, O my God, for good. What, what is he saying when he says, Remember me, O God? Does God forget? No, God doesn't forget. But he is calling out, he is expressing his trust in God's faithfulness. He believes that God is faithful and he's calling out to God to intervene on his behalf. And we see that God did that. That, Did God remember Nehemiah? That's what this whole book's about. (laughs) God remembered Nehemiah. God, God remembered Nehemiah for good. We see the servant of God, he was a layman, he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a scribe. He was a cupbearer in the court of Artaxerxes. And God used him to do great things. And it just reminds you and me that we need to remember God's faithfulness and, and that he, if He was faithful to enable Nehemiah to be so successful, then He can do that in my life and in your life as well. But I want to point out that Nehemiah called these people to responsibility. And why did he do that? Because, yeah, God does enable us to serve Him faithfully for the long haul, but also you have a responsibility to guard your own heart. And we see that Nehemiah had a heart for God, and I'm going to highlight that a little bit later. But you must guard your own heart with all diligence. We live in a world that has a lot of pleasures and allurements. It really wants to direct our heart away from loving God and having a passion for Him. And we have to protect and guard our hearts. In chapter 7, uh, Nehemiah called the people to guard the gates. 
guard the gates of the work, guard the work itself. But here he is calling them back and he is emphasizing you needed you needed to guard your heart all along. It was never, or at least it has strayed from where it originally has been. So how do you guard your heart with all diligence? Um, as Proverbs 4.23 says, in verses 1-3 through here in this chapter, the first way is to keep under God's Word. We see in verse 1 on that day, that day that Nehemiah came back, and that's, we don't know the specific day, but that time period, the people of Israel were reading the book of Moses in the audience of the people. And therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them, howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass when they had heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. It all began with them keeping under, them getting under the Word of God. And that's where they should have been the whole time. Some point from that time period that Nehemiah left to the time period that he came back, they weren't reading the law of God. But since he had come back, they started doing that and they fell under conviction uh, of it. They made time for the reading of the Word of God. And the passage here in verse 1 about the Ammonite and the Moabite comes from Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 through 5. And so we have here that the people of Jerusalem were losing their distinction because they weren't keeping under the Word of God. Their convictions were laxing and they were living differently and they were tolerating this mixed multitude in the congregation. Now, historically in the church, people have done this. Denominations have baptized infants and and they have led people astray thinking that they're giving them a false security that they're believers and they really not, are not. There was, a, um, even in our own country, there was a halfway covenant in the congregational churches where we see that these they were allowing unbelievers to become members of the churches there in the early, Ameri- America, uh, early uh, in the 1700s when uh, before the founding of our country, these congregational churches had a halfway covenant where they allowed unsaved, baptized infants to be members of the church. And this was the cause of the Great Awakening with Jonathan Edwards and others because there were unsaved people in the churches. And does a mixed multitude happen in churches today? Yeah, it does. We have honorable people that come to to churches, the Bible-preaching churches. They are good people. They may even be moral people, but they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And, it, and we say, come, be under the Word of God. Hear the Word of God. But we need to make sure that you understand you're not a believer. You know, you're not a child of God. And you need to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. This was the dark place that Jerusalem was in when Nehemiah came because these people regarded themselves as, as God's people and they really weren't. Now you think about, he points out the Ammonite and the Moabite, and that's because they were enemies of Israel. But could a Moabite become part of Israel? Yeah, they could. Ruth did. <laughs> Ruth did. She became a part of Israel. So it wasn't that they were racist, okay? It was a fact that this Moabite, like Ruth, she had to forsake her 
gods. She had to forsake the culture she came from. And she had to trust in what the Scriptures said. Trust in the one true God. And you know what? That That still exists today. That still exists today in the church. It's not about just blending in and being here. You have to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if you are part of the mixed multitude, I encourage you to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. He wants to save you. Don't trust in a, a prayer. Don't, accept, don't trust in uh, what your parents have done. Don't trust in the fact that you've been here. Trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. He's the one that provided salvation full and free. They made time to read the Word of God, to hear the Word of God, and also they made time to apply the Word of God. It says in verse 3, that they separated themselves, all Israel, from the mixed multitude. Um, I had the privilege of visiting with Marlene and Wally Thompson and the family last night. And uh, they taught me how to play Polish basketball. And I don't have a quarter here, but uh, anyway, they had a quarter <clears throat> and a piece of paper. We'll just imagine this is a piece of paper. And they had me, I'm going to illustrate, demonstrate this, but they had me take this quarter, and Matthew is the stinker behind this, Matthew Thompson, but anyway, he had this quarter, and he wanted me to roll it down my forehead, down my nose, into my chin, and try to drop the quarter in a circle that was on the paper, okay? You understand what I'm doing here? So then he gives me a quarter, and so I start doing this, and I'm doing this, and then I drop it, bam, and I totally miss then he marks my spot so I can remember where it's landed. Crystal has video and she's not allowed to share this. Okay, and so anyway, so Matthew was marking my circle and then I'm going like this. And try again. Marlene's like, a third time's a charm, Pastor. You know, and, she, and I go again. And then I look up and the wall that I was facing had a mirror and I had this mark on my forehead all the way down. And what happened was when Matthew was marking that quarter, he was putting lead on the edge of that quarter really heavily. <laughs> and I was, and I looked like I had been to a, I, I was observing Lent in the Catholic Church. <laughs> and so I was, uh, I was very embarrassed. But you know, when I saw that mirror and I saw that I had that mark on my forehead, I wanted to get rid of it right away. And you know, the Word of God is very much uh, the same way. When we hear the Word of God, when we read the Word of God, and it brings conviction to our soul. We need to be like these people in Jerusalem, and we need to respond to the Word of God. You know, we need to wipe off that mark when we see the sin in our life. The Word of God is like a mirror, according to James chapter 1, and when it shows those blemishes, we don't need to be a fool or just a hearer and walk away. We need to be a doer of the Word of God and obey Scripture. The second uh, way that we can guard our heart with all diligence is not only keep under God's Word, but keep dealing with sin. Uh, Verse 4 says, And before this, Elishib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a great chamber, where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense and the vessels, and the tithes of the corn and the new wine and the oil, which was commanded to be given unto the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was I not in Jerusalem for the 32nd year of our Xerxes, uh, the king of Babylon, came I unto the king, 
and after certain days obtained leave of the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Elishib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. He evicted him. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers. And there brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. And we see here that Nehemiah notices that the people have laxed. They have let down their guard. They have allowed this enemy of Israel not only to become part of the congregation, but actually to live in the house of God. He was living in a place where the offering should have been. And he was defiling the temple and he was prohibiting the people from worship. And the problem that we a lot of times do is we allow Satan or our spiritual enemies to have a foothold in our life. It may be bitterness. It may be a a domineering sin in our life. And we allow it to have this foothold. Maybe it's a sin that no one else knows about, not even your wife. And you sit there and you hold this in secret and don't deal with it. And you're allowing Satan and sin to have a foothold in your life. And we need to respond like Nehemiah and deal with the sin right away. He, uh, first of all, in verse 8, it says in the first part, it grieved me sore. That means that he grieved bitterly over his sin. We need a sorrow over sin that's in our life and, and repent of, of its effects. We need a, that word grieve is not just a sorrowful, but it's also a, a term of anger. We need to get angry at sin. We're always sometimes, you know, we kind of act like milk toast about sin as Christians and Oh, you know, it's all right. It's not that bad, you know. Oh, you know, it really wasn't their fault. It really wasn't my fault. It was someone else's fault. No. When we really take sin seriously and we deal with sin, we say, God, I know that I sinned against you. You said it in your word, and I am such a terrible person for, for sinning against you. I knew better, and I did it anyway. And I come to you with that kind of sorrow. And that kind of confession of my sin. He, he got angry about sin, but he did not sin uh, personally, Nehemiah. And I, I think that's a, a point we do need to remember, that there is a lot of sin that is being committed around us, but we are commanded in Ephesians, be angry and sin not. Okay, That we don't sit there and see our child disobeying, and doing disobeying some a rule or something that you've said, and we don't sit there and we don't abuse them and beat them half to death. We don't go and we don't try to attack people in the world that are committing sin, like what happened in Colorado Springs, whether I know that guy's a Christian or not, I have no idea, but what a terrible thing. What a, if he is a Christian, that kind of testimony for Christ is terrible. We need to grieve bitterly over sin, but still honor God. In verse 9, it says, I commanded them to cleanse the chambers. He took this seriously. He took sin seriously. And when you read in Romans chapter 7 about this struggle that the Apostle Paul is having with sin within himself, he's, he says that he saw the seriousness of his sin. And that's the kind of uh, perspective that we need to have as well. And then also in verse, verses 8 and 9, we see that 
Nehemiah throws Tobias stuff out on the street. He throws every all his household goods out. He doesn't go ask Tobiah, um, um, can I in three days I need you know he didn't have any renters rights, okay, like in Colorado. He was like, No, you're out of here. All right. I'm gonna throw your stuff at the curb, you can collect it whenever you want to. He he was that serious about sin. And we need to treat sin just like that. We need to put it off. But we also see that he brought back in what needed to be there. He put on what needed to be there. And we see this illustrated in the New Testament. And I see it illustrated about every day with my son Titus. I mean, he sits there and wears these clothes. And he might just eat and he might spill something. Water. Like just some water. And he will go and he will change his entire outfit. You know, he will come in and... And he needs help putting his clothes on, and he'll come in without clothes. And I'm like, why did you change your clothes? I had icky. I had icky, you know, you know, whatever. And so we got to change all his clothes. And some of you probably have had this when you've raised kids. They get, you know, they get a little mark on it, or it gets itchy, you know, the little tag in the back, and they change their outfit mm, two, three, four times a day. And, you know, but, you know, that's the kind of perspective that we should have towards sin, that when it when we see it and it bothers us, and whether it bothers us or not, but we see it in our life that we take care of it. When we put it off and we put something better on. And that we take, and we deal with sin in our life. And then the third way of guarding your heart is keeping your priorities right. Um, he does highlight things that have already been mentioned in the past in the last couple of chapters. As he talks about keeping your priorities right, talks about the finances in verses 10 through 13 and how they... Stop giving their tithes. And, and really the workers in the temple were not being fed. So they had to go out of the city and start farming again. And start ranching again in order to provide for their families. Why? Because the people of God stopped giving. And when we are faithful, and God calls us to be faithful in little, and then He will have us faithful in much. When we are faithful in little, He'll give us more. And a lot of times we want a lot. We're like, God, won't you give us a whole lot? Maybe we're just not even faithful with the little bit that we have. And uh, here they, they forsook the house of God and the workers of God and, <clears throat> and they did not give to the work. In verses 15 through 22, we've talked about the day of worship, the Sabbath as well. The Sabbath was created for man. Man was not created for the Sabbath. It was a day of rest, a day of worshiping God. And who are we to say that God doesn't know what He's talking about when we try to use the day of rest that He's created to, for our own pleasure to make a profit. And that's exactly what uh, Nehemiah was rebuking them of in verses 15 through 22. But then also keeping God first in your family. You know, it's not enough that we just come to church with our family, but we need to be discipling our children. We need to be talking to them about not just forcing them, into the faith, but we need to be training them in the faith. And that takes work. Discipleship takes work. And we see in verses 23 through 31 that these parents, they took the easy road out. They said, eh, I don't want to bother teaching them Hebrew. Could have, could a person, a child that came out of that mixed marriage, you know, with a, you know, a, uh, you know, with a unsaved, you know, spouse and a saved spouse that are married, were there children that could have learned and been discipled in the faith? Yeah, they could. But we see that the parents just gave up. They just really didn't spend the time and invest in it. And so the, peop- the children were not ready 
to learn the Word of God. I want to take the remainder of our time to highlight something that I think is so important. It's the last point of guarding your heart is keep your motives true. Keep your motives true. It's not just in one verse, but in three verses. And I really want to highlight uh, Nehemiah's prayers here. If you look at verse 14, it conveys his uh, his prayers not only conveyed God's faithfulness, but it also it also demonstrated and shared showed Nehemiah's heart before God. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the houses thereof. That word good deeds is the word um, kesed in in Hebrew. It's the loyal love of God. It's a faithful love. And it's talked about, about God all the time. His loving kindness. That's how it's translated a lot of times in the Old Testament. His loving kindness. Now, Nehemiah is not saying, remember your loving kindness. He's saying, remember my faithful acts of love to you, God. And it kind of shows us his heart. That, you know, he just wasn't a, a crankpot, a grouch. You know, that he just didn't come back to Jerusalem with a chip on his shoulders. But he called these people these Jews that were in Jerusalem back to God because he had a love for God. He had a love for God. And that's what helped him remain faithful. He had That was the motivation of his heart is that he did it because he loved God. He, was, he, was, he really loved God and all that God had done in his life. The second prayer is in verse 22. And it reveals another part of his heart. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. We see here, like we've seen throughout the whole book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was dependent on God. He had a heart that was dependent on God. Not that was self-sufficient, that had it all figured out. It wasn't a heart of pride, it was a heart of humility. And he was dependent on God. And then also, he served God trained to seek to please Him with all his heart. If you look at verse 31, it says, Remember me, O my God, for good, for blessing. And that word for good means not only blessing, but also pleasant in estimation. That you would look good upon me. And again, I've already referenced this a little bit ahead of time, that Nehemiah, we see in this book, he was remembered for good in this book. Why? Because his heart was in the right place. It wasn't a heart... He didn't serve God because he he was trying to be saved or try to keep saved. He was serving God because he had a love for God, because he realized he needed God, and because he was trying to please God. And what are your motivations for serving God here? If we want to serve God on the long haul, we've got to make sure that our motives are right. If we're serving God with hypocrisy, someday, sometime down the road, we're going, to, we're going to hit some rough patches like the Thompsons or like some other people in your life, and we're going to be ready to give up. And we're just going to walk away. But you know what? We can remain true and we can remain faithful if our motives are right, if our hearts are right. Are you guarding your heart today? It is so easy for us to walk and live in this life and think that we're okay. But we are surrounded by not only false teaching like I talked about in Sunday school today, but we also are surrounded by 
things that distract us and allure us away from our love for God. And we see here in this last chapter of Nehemiah the importance of guarding our hearts like Nehemiah did. He kept under the Word of God. He kept feeding that fire, that passion for God that he had. He kept dealing with sin and cleansing out the ashes of the former idols and the sins in his life. And he didn't dwell on those, but he dealt with them and he kept moving forward. He kept his priorities right, the priorities of his heart. He kept what should be important, important. And he kept his motives true, the motives of his heart. How dedicated and single is your heart toward the Lord today? Does he sit on the throne of your heart? I challenge you to take this message into consideration and respond to the Lord as he's worked in your heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for the book of Nehemiah. And as we look at it, it has, gives us great principles of leadership. It gives us great encouragement that we can still live for you when um, Christianity is under reproach. But also, it gives us great encouragement that we can serve you faithfully for the long haul. And I pray, Lord, that you would examine our hearts. And Lord, if, is there something that has drawn our love away from you? Do we love this world more than we love you? Do we love money more than we love you? Do we love someone more than we love you? Only you and the people in this room can answer that question. And I just pray that if your Holy Spirit has been working in the heart of a believer today, maybe of an unbeliever who hasn't accepted Christ, that they would respond and they would uh, get right with you. Lord, for the unbeliever that they would accept Christ as their Savior that they would not trust in anything else except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Realize that He died on the cross for their sins. And for the believer, that they would be single in their devotion to Him. Lord, that if they just need to get right, Lord, we just thank You for the encouragement here that You're a God of the second chance. Lord, that You do you do give us another chance. But Lord, we pray that You would help us to be more faithful, to be set and to strive to serve you for the long haul and just take that challenge day by day help us lord not to live in in fantasy world thinking that we that we're perfect and that we're without sin and that you know we don't have those temptations that everybody else does but help us lord live in reality that we need you we need you working in our life we need to be under your word we need to be dealing with sin we need to be keeping what is important to you in our life and our hearts and we need to have motives that are pleasing and true before you. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our time of invitation. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.